Hello, and welcome to the Firefighting Legends podcast. I'm Chuck Hampton, and in this episode, we'll be talking with retired Dallas Fire Department Lieutenant Mike Otto, including talking about his near-death experience in a house fire in 2006. Mike's a pretty tough-looking dude, but he doesn't just look the part. A six-foot-five former lineman for the Indiana Hoosiers before he began his firefighting career, the man is tough as nails. And as a veteran firefighter, he's not one to over-dramatize his own story. So when we get to the part of the interview where he is describing his near-death experience in a house fire, and he talks about not being able to find his way out and about starting to feel his back burning, he sounds pretty matter-of-fact about it. So before we dive into the interview, I want to give you a little context here. The first thing I'd like our listeners who are not firefighters to understand is that our work is generally done in complete darkness. Forget every movie you've ever seen where the actors are walking through a building that's on fire and you can see there's things burning over here and over there there's some more things burning. And the reason you can see them is there isn't any smoke or very little of it. And there's also no heat accompanying those fires. That's why so many of us find it impossible to watch these movies because they make us groan because they are such complete BS. The reality is completely different. Often the hardest part of putting the fire out is simply finding the fire as you stumble over furniture in pitch black surroundings while wearing 60 pounds of gear and pulling a heavy fire hose charged with water to a pressure that makes it very unmaneuverable. And let me add that flashlights are useless in this environment because they cannot penetrate the smoke. And it doesn't matter how powerful the flashlight is because the more light you point at the smoke, the more light that just reflects back from the smoke particles and into your face. It was in this intensely dark environment that Mike Otto became lost and could not find his way out. And as the temperature continues rising and his skin begins to cook, he has another issue. The alarm on his air pack is going off, indicating that he's running out of air. And if he runs out of air, the first breath he takes of the superheated gases of the room will sear his lungs, and it will be game over for Mike. Now, dying young is a bad enough fate in itself, but we're not talking about going gently into that good night here. Burning to death is one of the most excruciatingly painful ways to die there is. So what was at stake? At this moment in time, for Mike, was everything. So when he tells his story here in a moment, be sure to remember that this was more than your average close call. This man was right on the precipice of being cooked alive. Mike Otto, welcome to the show. I want to take you back to 1983 when you and I and the rest of the members of Dallas Fire Department Rookie Class Number 203 were graduating, and you got assigned to sleepy old Station 27, which uh, I'm sure you weren't happy about. I was not happy about it. And I'm sure your first shift was completely uneventful. Tell well, me about you. Well, <laughs> it was not uneventful, as uh, – <laughs> As you know, everybody was agitating me at our graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Barry Smith, who was Doug Rimby's um, brother-in-law, mm-hmm. who was a captain mm-hmm. at the time. And yeah, mm-hmm. he said, yeah, you're going to 27. It's a hot house. The air conditioners broke. Ha ha ha. You know, and uh, never forget that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a single company house there at the corner of uh, 
Douglas and uh, uh, West Northwest Highway, and uh, we had just a you know had a good crew, just an engine there. It was me uh, and my first shift with Captain John Wood, and driver was Rusty Evans, who I would work with quite a bit later at Nineteens, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and then Jerry Lester was the second driver, and I was the private. We had a yeah. you know relatively busy day making just calls and. Um, we had a, a CPR that evening about, I don't know, probably nine, 10 o'clock. And, uh, mm-hmm. I ended up going to the hospital with, uh, with seven thirty-seven, and, uh, thought that was all really interesting and neat because I'd only done one shift on an ambulance when we were in EMT school and rookie school. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so, and we ended up getting the guy back or they did. I, I yeah. was just there to kind of, yeah probably cool. help, but I was probably in the way more yeah. than anything. <laughs> but, um, I got this uh, gentleman back and, and, um, so they, uh, dropped me off, uh, at the station and, uh, I walked in and it's about midnight and it's pitch black and, you know, I fumble around trying to get, I'd already made my bed luckily and went back here and found my bed and laid down and, and, uh, boy, I mean, I was just wired, never forget it as long as I live, you know, just that mm-hmm, excitement. Mm-hmm. And here I am laying here in the dark in this old fire station, which was yeah. a very old building at the time. I, I would imagine that was probably built back in the forties, I'm guessing anyway, thirties, forties. Anyway, um, all of a sudden the house bells went off, which, Mm-hmm. To, to the listener, the house bells are manual. So somebody up in mm-hmm. the watch room was pushing the buttons. And so mm-hmm. it was still dark 30 in that bedroom. And I remember yeah. sitting up in my bed going, I can't see, I can't see. And <laughs> one of the guys says, shut up, rookie. The lights will come on in a minute. You know, and about that time the speakers opened, the lights came on. Yeah. You know, let's roll them, let's roll them on signal 211 at the Dumphy Hotel, which was on mm. West Northwest and out towards yeah. Marsh Lane and Love Field. And uh, so, yeah, we get that at midnight. And uh, this was a real deal. You know, Dallas uh, had its first five inch engine that was pumping there. I believe that was 35 engine. And uh, we were, this was old school. We were carrying, uh, um, engine three-quarter lines uh, up ground ladders um, into uh, third-floor windows um, and, you know, fighting fire. And, uh, I mean, I was like, wow, this is a trip. (laughs) And uh, uh, we had a bunch of sheetrock fall in on Mm. a few Mm -hmm. of us Mm -hmm. up on the third floor. A couple guys ended up going to the hospital with that. But, Mm. you know, that was pretty intense when that all came down. and. uh, I can remember Man. being on my third bottle and upstairs in that third floor and, um, you know, working, you know, spraying water yeah. into that attic area and, yeah. um, and just being dizzy, you know, uh, from, you know, I'm sure I hadn't, it was August. I hadn't probably been mm-hmm. hydrating. They don't do rehab or didn't do rehab back mm-hmm. then like they do now. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but at any rate, you know, we ended up doing it and getting it done and getting the fire put out. And uh, about five o'clock, they cut us that morning. They cut us loose to head back to the station. So we yeah. stopped at the um, 
uh, one of the guys needed to get some chewing tobacco at the gas station there at Midway and West Northwest. And uh, when they put the second alarm on the Sherwood Forest Apartment Complex, which was right next door to the mm. Dumphy Hotel, ah. and they gave that <laughs> to us. And yep. so we turned around and headed back and uh, got there, and it was a town home and fire blowing out of the upstairs window. And uh, there was a guy fixing to go in on a two and a half inch line. And I'll never forget that. And I never saw a two and a half inch used like this. And as an interior attack line again, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he was about to go in and my captain said, get behind Melvin. And so Mm -hmm. I did. And I noticed Melvin did not have a, uh, an SCBA, you know, an air pack Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, how's he going to do this? And, Mm-hmm. And he started up the stairs and I'm up the stairs going upstairs behind him. And we got about halfway up the stairs when Melvin said, I guess he realized he didn't have his air pack on at that point. I don't know. <laughs> but he's making a U-turn. And, and so here's Rookie standing there going, well, okay. And leaves you on a two and a uh, half two inch, inch line. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't. I, there had to have been people behind me pushing that line. Yeah. I don't remember the but adrenaline. There was, was but there was probably, for what it sounds like, though, there was nobody, like, right behind you. Yeah, maybe, no. Maybe if, yeah. True, true. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm Which is one thing on an inch and three-quarter line. Right. But a two-and-a-half-inch line. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a wow. lot of weight there, you know. And, uh, of course, I'm a pretty good-sized guy, but. Yeah. You know, I, I wrestled it up and I had to make the bend to turn around to go to the room um, yeah. uh, towards the front and, uh, you know, put it out and, you know, come down and everybody was like high-fiving and patting me on the back. And I'm like, hey, wow, this is pretty cool, you know. <laughs> but, but um, and I ended up going to the roof at that place, at that building too. And, um, you know, it was later that day I thought, wow, is this a day at the fire station? You know, <laughs> I mean, if, it, if every day and every night is like this, I don't know if I want to do this. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and as we know, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, there were right. days like that, yep. you know, but, yeah, uh, but it's just kind of, kind of, kind of surprising that, uh, at a sleepy station, like 27th, oh, that your yeah. first shift would yeah. have been that busy. Well, and then we, it uh, happens, but it doesn't happen all that often at a slower station. And then my first three shifts, we actually had, um, working fires, uh, on all yeah. three of my first three shifts. <laughs> and so, yeah, I kind of jumped out to the lead on the, on the fire. Indeed. From our Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So aside from the firefighting, what over the course of your career did you maybe really enjoy about a, a day at the fire station? Oh, golly, there were so many things, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved the, uh, well, of course, you, you loved it when you were not on the rescue, you know, on the ambulance. Those were the really special mm-hmm. days. And, uh, but, you know, coming in and, um, you know, you had your routine, everybody had their job, which it may, you know, if somebody was off that may, you know, change a little here and there. But, um, you know, we, uh, 
We'd sit around, we'd catch up with what had gone on the last two days before, having some coffee, you know, first thing in the morning and, mm-hmm. and talking to the shift that's getting off and uh, um, catching up with things going on in the department. And uh, it was just so relaxed, you know, that after mm-hmm. you come in, you, you put your gear on, you know, you get your gear yeah. on the apparatus first thing and don't waste any time doing that. And, um, but then that, and then you're cooking and you're, you know, and you're, you're cleaning up and you're getting, you know, the drivers are checking out the apparatus and just everything. It's just, you know, getting done. Everybody had a yeah. job to do and they're doing yeah. it concurrently. And then, you know, by nine, nine thirty, you know, that busy work is kind of done, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, maybe, you know, your apparatus is getting ready to go to the grocery store and, and, uh, you know, you, you grocery list, whoever's cooking and you go to the store and just, you just doing these things and you're doing it together, you know, yeah. with, uh, with your brothers and your sisters. And, yeah. uh, um, so there's a real camaraderie. There. Yes. A, a super camaraderie, yeah. you know, can be, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, I think it happens less today than mm-hmm. it did back then, just simply yeah. because of the technology and that everybody is so right. wired to their, their phones and their iPads and their, you know, uh, their, their yeah. yeah, I think it's and, really, they, and they have the ability, the way they build stations now to all go off to their separate sure rooms, they do. which, yeah. you know, was not an option, uh, when we came on the fire, right. yeah, you I didn't know. have right. separate bedrooms and you didn't have that technology. Like you're saying, nobody had cell phones. And so, yeah, there was a lot, a lot more you had to you had to get along with everyone because you were going to be with everyone for that 24 hours not right. just on the calls but in the station right right yeah the dormitory rooms you know mm-hmm. the big rooms that gave you absolutely no privacy whatsoever you know nope. and uh um and nowadays you know there's they took that into consideration in their in their station mm-hmm. construction and they give people a place to where they can kind of go by themselves and decompress or whatever and that's a good thing to be able to do that but i think it also does hurt that um uh that camaraderie that teamwork you know that yeah you get into when you're just when you're all sitting around when you go sit in everybody watches a movie together you know i remember in the yeah. evening you know it was not uncommon that six eight guys would, would come into the living room and sit down and and you know back in the days of vcrs you know and somebody yep. popped in a a VCR and you'd watch a movie and, and, uh, you know, get a run, you'd stop it, you'd come back, wait till everybody's yeah. back, you'd restart it again, you know? And, yep. and uh, uh, it was, it's, it was just very much, um, uh, familial, you know, you know, yeah. just kind of like yeah. your other, your other family and, uh, yep. some of them you liked and some of them you didn't just, just like your real family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you ascended through the ranks. You made uh, promoted first to second driver back when that was a uh, a rank that you promoted to before driver. Then you promoted to driver and uh, finally to lieutenant. When did you make lieutenant? About what year would that have been? And where did you go after you made lieutenant? Uh, well, I first met, I was driving truck eleven when I made lieutenant, mm-hmm. and I want to say I made lieutenant in two thousand and five or six i'm not positive okay. about that yeah 2005 okay. or six 
And they sent me to seven station on the B shift, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I had, I had actually been there on C shift driving the truck before I went mm-hmm. to drive truck 11 a few years before. Um, so yeah, I made Lieutenant and went to a seven engine on B shift. Okay. Yeah. So while you were at sevens, mm-hmm. you had a very significant, intense incident. Yeah, I did. Uh, one that one that one that put you in the hospital. Right. Uh, why don't you tell me about that day? Uh, that day at sevens. Yeah, so that was December. I don't remember if it was the fourteenth or the sixteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, for mm-hmm. some reason, I have a mental block there of two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. So I probably made lieutenant in 05. and then um, yeah, this was two thousand and six, and. I was actually, the captain was off, and I was riding the seat on the truck that day. And um, mm-hmm. we had been to the cigar shop, and I bought a box of uh, Romeo and Juliet cigars. And um, uh, we'd had dinner, and I was about to uh, have a smoke when uh, the mm-hmm. bell hit. And um, uh, it was a box uh, and in engine 13's first up. And seven engine was out on another call. They went mm-hmm. out to the station and they didn't get assigned the, the box initially. Uh, so the so company, that means uh, you probably would have had thirteens, tens, and maybe fifty uh, sixes for yeah, your third I think, engine. I think that's exactly right. I think that's, that's okay. probably. Got, I think seven engine cleared pretty quick, and I think they ended yeah. up getting it on the first. Oh, okay. I'm not sure about that, but okay. at any rate. Um, so the comments, though, um, indicated that there was a, an elderly couple that was trapped in the house. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that would have been our job as truck seven, first in truck, um, to uh, initiate uh, rescue operations and, mm-hmm. and a search. And um, <clears throat> so I'm listening, you know, intently for 13s to report out. You know, just to give a size up of what they had, and they reported all out with a with a large one story brick home with a lot of fire in the back, and mm-hmm. um, so I started uh, making my plans, and I, I really felt like the person that I wanted to drive to the do a search with was probably mm-hmm. my driver, but mm-hmm. I knew he was going to have to. It would take him a minute or so to get dressed once we arrived mm-hmm. on location. And um, so, you know, I informed everybody of what I, my plans were and, um, you know, things that I thought we needed to do, the other two guys in the back and and the driver get dressed as quick as you can. And uh, I said, I'm going to go in and see what's engine 13. They had made an interior attack and see what exactly was going on there. And I'll be right back out. And um, boy, it just, everything just really went to hell in a handbasket. And uh, uh, Jim Albaugh, who um, I believe Jim's still working too. I think mean, he's a, uh, he's a battalion chief, was a uh, mm-hmm. section chief. He's currently, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what he's doing right now. Safety, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we talked about it at length. He was a lieutenant on engine third, on engine ten, mm-hmm. 
that mm-hmm. night. And he even, you know, he said, I've never seen one go south so fast. And it, it did. I mean, it was just, a, it was a lot of fire and a lot mm-hmm. of combustibles and uh, engine 13 ended up getting some trouble. Uh, they had gone past a, uh, an attic pull down staircase mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, that thing um, had heated up, up in the attic mm-hmm. and it had dropped down um mm-hmm. uh, over their pathway to get out and um this is all stuff we learned afterwards you know of course we didn't you know, there was no right. visibility within within right. seconds of going in there was absolutely no visibility in the house at all um there was an issue with the the, the officer on 13 engine had not switched his uh, walkie-talkie mm-hmm. radio mm-hmm. Uh, over mm-hmm. to the fire ground. He was actually mm-hmm. on the apparatus channel. So mm-hmm. when he put out a mayday, mm-hmm. it went out over channel one, um, in which nobody really on the scene yeah. heard. Um, I heard it, but I heard it from his mouth to my ears, not through a radio, because right. I was in there, but I, <clears throat> I couldn't see them. But uh, turns out there was there was a, a a large hole in the wall, an opening between the living room and like a breakfast area. They were in mm-hmm. the breakfast area. I was in the living area, mm-hmm. I believe, after returning to the scene of the crime. And uh, anyway, it turns out there was no family. Uh, there was no older couple that even lived at the house. It was a younger couple with kids, and they had gone out. For uh, I think they were at Sonic eating dinner, and uh, when all this went down, and uh, so uh, ultimately, I um, um, yeah, I just I found myself listening to to traffic on the radio. Uh, I realized that I was the only one still in the house, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, put out my own little mayday and just said, "Hey, I need somebody mm-hmm. to." you know, lead me out of here. And I felt like I was real accessible and I was, uh, I wasn't sure where I was, but I felt like I was accessible. I knew I hadn't gone through a lot of stuff. I was twisted and turned around. I knew that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and I didn't have anything to, to acclimate myself as to what direction I needed to go. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of hung out, uh, for a little bit and, um, uh, and it kept just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And, you know, there was, um, I was communicating with, uh, with command and then there wasn't communication. And, uh, um, that I think became a problem with my radio and, um, it was extremely hot, you know, and it got to a point to where I'm like, okay, I'm burning now and it's time for me to get the hell out of here. And, uh, you know, I, later on, I, okay. I, tell you what, hold on, hold on. Okay. Let me, let me just stop you right there and yeah. recap. Cause we've covered, you've covered a lot of ground and I want to make yeah. sure I understand. I want to make sure our listeners understand some of whom may not be firefighters. So we've got a, a large house, not a South Dallas, uh, one room shack, no, it's a no. big house. Yeah. We've got a reason to believe that there is an elderly couple inside this house. So we've got a rescue situation based on the comments from dispatch. We engine 13 gets there first. They pull a cross lay inch and three quarter line. They've made entry to 
find and extinguish the fire. Right. They're they're fire. They're yep. attacking the fire. And, yep. You've made entry. Just to scope things out, real quick. You know, you're you're gonna you're gonna do the search, the full search with the driver. But you're, you know, at the moment you go in, there's probably some visibility when you first went in. Is that right? Yes. There's a, there's okay. a little bit. Okay. And then, as you said, everything went south. It went south very quickly, which um, which can happen in seconds sometimes. And when it went south, visibility drops down to zero, right? Correct. You can't see your hand in front of your face. That's no, correct. Is what we're talking that's, about, That's right? correct. Okay. So now the fire is getting out of control. It's getting hot. This visibility drops to zero. Everybody's trying to get out. Engine seven has difficulty getting out because <clears throat> a attic pull down stairway, the springs have gotten hot on that, causing them to release. So right. it falls down into the hallway, blocking egress for engine 13. They don't know what's blocking their way. They don't know why they can't get out. So they put out a mayday, which is what they should do. Correct. Uh, basically a call to command, hey, that we're in trouble. But and they're on the wrong channel. As I as I heard, command initially didn't know they called for a mayday for that reason, but other companies out on the air heard that and uh, alerted perhaps them to that. Then, and you heard them verbally because they're right there in the next room. Right. But then you're trying to get out too. You're not trapped by the staircase, but you are disoriented because now you're in a zero visibility situation and you don't have a line to follow out. And um, at this point, you put out your own mayday. You are communicating with command. Again, exactly the right thing to do. And you're hoping at this point they're going to come find you since you've put out this mayday, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, But nobody's finding you. Um, And you can't just follow engine 13's line out. I know from a previous conversation that you said that um, their line, the line was kind of jumbled up. You wouldn't have been able to to follow it out. Way, way too much line pulled in. And that was something that I saw right before visibility was gone. Yeah. Yeah, their three man had just filled this living room full of inch and three quarter hose. So, you know, and it's something that I preached for the rest of my career. There should be a straight line from Mm -hmm. a nozzle Mm -hmm. to an exit of the IDLH, you know, a place to go out of that bad environment without running you around in in, uh, circles. Yep. You know, coincidentally, Mike, um, another member of our rookie class 203 was um, received some pretty severe burns for exactly that reason. And uh, as you may recall, I'm talking about Tracy Landis fire mm-hmm. not too long after we got out of rookie school, I don't think. And uh, the story, as I heard it, uh, Engine 11, I think he was on at the time. Uh, they made entry uh, with a cross lay and it went south on them and they're trying to back out because it's so, it's so hot that 
the officer is afraid it's they're going to have flashover. Right. So they're trying to get out. Tracy, being very careful, follows the line. He doesn't want to leave the line. That's his lifeline to get outside. So he's following the line, but the line looped around into a closet. And he got in there and got turned around. Again, zero visibility. I think it's hard for uh, people who haven't been in firefighting situations to understand what it's like to try to navigate your way in somebody else's house when you literally can't see anything. But in this case, it looped around into a closet, causing him to get turned around. The other guys had gone straight out. Tracy's in the closet, and sure enough, the officer was right. It did flash over, and then he can't get out of the closet because there's a wall of fire on the other side of the closet. Mm-hmm. The guys outside eventually realize, oh, Tracy didn't make it out. And they come back with another line and get him out of the closet. But he had severe burns on his hands before they were able to get to him. Uh-huh. So. I think the point you make about uh, line management is a really good one because it is clearly clearly dangerous when you can't follow that line out. So going back now, I think I kind of understand where you're at, what's happening. So let's go back. You're in the room at this point, and it's getting hot. And what is going through your mind as you're – trapped in this room, unable to find the way out, and it's getting hotter and hotter. Well, uh, yeah, uh, what's going through my mind? Um, well, at first, I was real proud that I didn't panic, <laughs> but but I realized <laughs> no. that mm-hmm. my situation was not good and, and that yeah. it was getting worse and not getting better, and, yeah. uh, you know, I certainly did have concerns. At one point, and I, I later, after some discussion with Jim Albaugh, I came to the the conclusion that this probably occurred when the positive pressure ventilation fan was shut off, which it was shut off because Uh, of the noise that it was making and it was interfering with communication out front. Mm -hmm. But I can remember, I can remember like it was yesterday that it got so much hotter and that Mm -hmm. the pressure this really doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to me, but it felt like there was pressure. I'm on my hands and knees on the ground that is just pushing me to the floor. And it's just, it is so incredibly hot in that room. And I know my back is burning and my hands, I felt like my fingertips were burning through my gloves. I'd stuck my mm-hmm. hands between my legs and I, and I was concerned about flashover. You know, I was concerned that we were getting to that temperature, you know, mm-hmm. when the gases in the room were just going to, you know, ignite on me. And, you know, it's really not survivable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I started moving at that point. I was like, I got to, I got to self-rescue, you know, I got to get myself mm-hmm. out of here. Um, and, uh, um, so I'm moving at this point and, in short order after I'm moving, I've moved into an area where I felt a little relief. I remember that the it, mm-hmm. heat wasn't so intense. And then I heard glass breaking and, mm. you know, it uh, turned out uh, Johnny Rudder, um, who was on yep. right in an ambulance that night, uh, yep. you know, suggested it. And uh, it's my understanding that the incident commander said, okay, go ahead. And he busted out this window. And that 
sound, that noise, um, I was able to register the direction and, and I started, you know, scampering, uh, across the floor, mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. that, and, and then all of a sudden I went through a door, found, found a door, went through it and looked up and, mm -hmm. and I could see, you know, flashing lights. And, uh, there was like <laughs> this a window and I, and I went and I'm like, man, I'm going to get out of here. And, uh, <laughs> I went, I, uh, I hit that bar. He broke out the upper pane mm -hmm. the bar mm -hmm. between the the upper and the lower windows was, was there. And I remember just grabbing it and just rolling out into the uh, front flower bed. And when yep. I hit the ground, literally I sucked the last breath out of my air tank. And, um, which was just an amazing feeling. What timing, what yeah. timing, you know, and, uh, yeah. And to go back a little bit when I was inside, you know, I I was skip breathing, which is a technique mm -hmm. that's used to to uh, um, prolong the life of your uh, air in your tank, you know, because and we have vibro alert, which, you know, once you get so low, mm -hmm. I think you get down to 20 percent of your air every time you inhale your face piece vibrates. And I've been on vibe, vibro alert for a long time or what felt like a long time. And, you know, I was skip breathing and, you know, I really felt like I did some things that were really good as far as, um, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. helping myself. But then there were other things that I didn't do that mm -hmm. I felt like I could have done to help myself. I was always somebody that, that tried to, uh, you know, read articles, you know, of mm -hmm. extrication or ventilation at a, you know, firehouse and fire engineering magazines and, um, you know, I found those stories really, you know, interesting and different techniques, but self-rescue is not something that I had really given any thought to, you know, and it's something that mm -hmm. I think everybody should give some thought to a lot of thought to it actually. And, uh, yeah. uh, um, so looking back, um, I was real proud. Like I said, that I didn't panic. I kept my wits about me the whole time, but I also know I have, I have a, I know building construction pretty well. You know, I know that doors that uh, open to me uh, are going to be uh, closets. Doors that open away from me are going to be bedrooms, bathrooms, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, rooms like that. Rooms that by code, you know, have uh, are going to have a, a window for egress. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish... You know, I wish I'd have given those things mm -hmm. more thought prior to mm -hmm. that night. And then the department, and after this incident, initiated the May Day training, mm -hmm. you know, which was good. Um, mm -hmm. To touch on another thing, you know, the, the cavalry, from what I understand, the cavalry did come. They, mm -hmm. they sent in, like, yeah. three two-man companies um, to find me. Yeah, I just didn't know they were there. You know, and, right, and right. uh, if you don't, you know, you can't see, obviously, right, and, right. and, you know, you're not going to be able to smell them. And uh, yep. so you only got one <laughs> other sense, really, uh, and that would yep. be uh, to hear them. And uh, mm -hmm. hearing is what ended up really mm -hmm. helping me when I heard the glass mm -hmm. break. And ah, one of the yeah. things that I articulated to um, anybody that would listen <laughs> that mm -hmm. I really felt like, you know, something like that um, 
it's something that ought to be on a chief's cars, you know, something that we mm-hmm. can, you know, make a noise, blow a noise, an air horn, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something like that to give, give somebody an opportunity to react to a, a, a sound. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Absolutely. but anyway. okay. So after you, after you come out of that window, right. Um, I would imagine that, uh, the paramedics immediately started, uh, treating you and, uh, Correct. Did they where did they take you to Parkland Hospital took right me, away? Took me to Parkland. Yeah, took me to Parkland. Yeah. Yep. And uh, what was the uh, what was the actual prognosis there? Well, at first, I don't think they realized my worst burns were my back, and okay. uh, but I don't think you know how burns are. They just didn't really show it as bad um, mm-hmm. initially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my hands are what was really bothering me the worst. It was like mm-hmm. all ten of my fingertips. And they all ended up blistering real bad. And, and mm-hmm. I'll never forget that night after I was loaded up with uh, Dilaudid, I think I was told it was, you know, it's like mm-hmm. my, my, I had 10 green onions, you know, these big white bubbles <laughs> on each finger. And oh, I was God. sitting in a yeah. stainless steel tank mm-hmm. and this guy was, was just taking and peeling the popping the blisters and peeling the skin mm. off. And, uh, and I was mm. just kind of surreal looking at it. I couldn't feel it, you know, because of the good meds, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was an intense, uh, you know, for about six weeks, I was going Monday through Friday every day. I'd go in for therapy and sit in a whirlpool bath and I'd climb out and I'd have one of my angels of mercy, uh, Diane and, uh, mm-hmm. oh gosh, I can't remember her name. I don't think of it. Diane would go to plucking dead skin off of my back. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other lady would be plucking dead skin off of my fingers. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was not fun. And, uh, but they did a Man. great job, took good care of me. And, yeah. uh, Got everything all patched up, and and I ended up I was only off for about ten weeks, and uh, was back mm-hmm. to the fire station. Well, that's over two months, so yeah, that's pretty significant burns. Anyway, yeah. you look at it. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've taken us through the incident. You've given us some good lessons learned about uh, the the fire. Let me also ask you, uh, since we've kind of got a younger department now, when you and I were old, we had uh, a little bit of an older department. Then there's uh, been some recent changes, uh, not all of them good, but there have been some recent changes. And as a result of that, a lot of people retired and uh, we've got a lot of younger members. So uh, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave for the uh, next generation of firefighters? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's 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 always been important, but it's even more important now because you don't get the on job on the job training like we used to get, you know, Mm -hmm. people ask me about the fire service. I'm like, and how it's changed. And, you know, um, we had a lot more fires when we were rookies on the job Mm -hmm. uh, and we made much less other calls. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Probably not great grammar there, but, uh, and then Mm -hmm. as the years went by, the, the frequency of the fires seemed to kind of drop off, but yet our, our business went through the roof. You know, we were answering yeah, yeah. all kinds of calls and our engines and, and trucks are just busy all the time, especially right. our rescues are busy all the time, but it's really important 
to to train, you know, to have yeah. company training, to have district training, training with the people that you're going to fight fire with, try to, you know. The department, in my opinion, has never done a great job. I think they've allocated more resources here lately mm-hmm. to training, and they need to. Um, True. But I think it's very important that, that individuals – also try mm-hmm. to um, increase their knowledge of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you fire does and fire behavior does follow um, some some pretty, uh, I mean, you, you can bank on some things, you know, mm-hmm. that fire is going to do, you know, uh, uh, when, you know, when you cut a hole in the ceiling or in the roof, mm-hmm. where's it going to go? It's going to go up. Heat's going to rise, you know, uh, but understand, um, fire behavior and and its effect on construction especially the new construction which is just getting more and more lightweight as uh you know to save money yes. and and then i would also say your ppe your equipment uh you know i was always really very particular about my ppe which mm-hmm. i think a lot of that was because i'm a I'm a pretty good sized guy. And back when we first came out, it was one mm-hmm. size fits all for pretty much, you know, everything, mm-hmm. you know, your face mm-hmm. piece on your SCBA, it stayed on the SCBA. Everybody wore it, you know, it was the exact yeah. same size. Well, I got a, I got a head, you know, I got a large <laughs> head and it fit me where the dang, you know, we didn't have our own gloves, you know, there yeah. was a pair of gloves yeah. issued to a position, you know, and, yes. uh, and, you know, you might come in, those gloves would be soaking wet from the fire the night before you got mm-hmm. that you relieved. So, you know, I, I was really particular about my my gear. Mm-hmm. And even after the department, you know, started got me a bigger face piece, got my own big gloves, you know, uh, I was always really particular. And I really think that had I not been cinched down the way I was, when I went mm-hmm. in there that night, mm-hmm. I think my injuries would have been, would have been worse. Uh, there's no doubt in my yeah. mind. And uh, yeah. having, having my gear on and, and in my gear in good shape. Um, yep. Yeah. It made it, I think it made a big difference. So I think, you know, we, uh, these guys have to guys and gals have to take some ownership, you know, um, uh, in, taking care of their own business, you know, yes, learning sir. all they can. Wise words, Mike. Mike Otto, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you taking the time your, to share your thoughts and experiences with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. I love the job every, you know, 30, almost 36 years, a couple months shy. You made 36 or 37? Uh, 37 and some yeah. change. Yeah. Yeah. Change. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I loved it. And, uh, and, Every day I'm thankful for the relationships and the opportunities that it gave me. I'm I'm glad that I'm it's over. <laughs> uh, Retirement's say, a good thing. As they say, you know, uh, I miss the clowns, but I don't miss the circus. Yeah. And uh, uh, uh right. but yeah, all is good, man. It's my pleasure. Very good. Thank you. Goodbye, Mike. Right. Goodbye. Okay, that concludes our interview today, but go to the website, firefightinglegends.com, to see photographs from the fire scene we talked about today, including photos of Mike's burnt gear. 
Also, be sure to subscribe to the Firefighting Legends podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Okay, that's all for now. I'm Chuck Hampton. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the biggin'.